Hi, Stephen. Thank Hi. you for joining us at Classical Musicians Roundtable. We're really happy to have you and it's good to see you. Um, one thing we start asking all of our interviewees is just a general, how are you doing? <laughs> yeah, well, I am doing okay. Uh, it's been a rough couple of weeks here, um, but I am finally starting to feel hopeful. I'm starting to feel like I can practice again and uh, get to work and try to be productive and, and move forward, you know? So um, I'm excited to be doing better. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. That kind of leads nicely into my next question, which is what have you been doing to cope with this time, both musically and non-musically? Mm -hmm. um, well, musically, honestly, nothing. Um, because it, it gets to a certain point where um, practicing an etude or doing some scales or long tones just feels so <laughs> incredibly irrelevant. You know, and I'm a nerd, like I like to practice and, and all that. Um, so I haven't really been practicing. Um, I'm starting to get back to it um, little by little now. Uh, but non-musically, I would say the, the biggest thing that I did with this particular moment, you know, in, in history um, was just allow myself to feel bad, <laughs> to feel all of the things that I was feeling for a couple of days. That's something that I usually don't do. Like, that's not something that I'm uh, very good at. But my sister actually um, was like, Stephen, you don't have to be fine now, you know? Um, <laughs> you probably shouldn't <laughs> uh, be fine. And so there were a couple of days where I, I, I just sort of went off the grid a little bit and I was by, by myself because it, I was, it's exhausting. You know, this, the things that are going on right now are, are not exhausting in the necessarily in the moment, but they are exhausting because you understand history and you understand your place already in that history. And it's just like, dang, another step back. Like, dang, come on, man. You know, like, yeah. and you're, and so the, the hope sort of, starts to go away. Um, so that was something that I think I did differently this time that was really helpful for me. And then since then, it's been um, just trying to seize the moment in terms of allowing, uh, allowing it to be productive in the field that I'm in. Because now people are listening. They're, they are listening for sure. And um, I've been waiting. <laughs> I think a lot of people have been waiting for people to listen for, uh, you know, many years. And so I think it's, um, I take it as a responsibility to seize this and make it, make it worthwhile. Yeah, that's great. I think one thing I'm personally struggling with right now is I've been wanting to kind of get off the grid and I almost feel guilty about it mm. because I'm definitely in a position of privilege to do that at all. Mm -hmm. And, but it makes me happy to know that you took a few days off at least to give yourself some mental space and kind of, you know, reflect on, on what's been going on. I think that's, that's really good and really important right now. 
yeah. Um, so it's a very direct question, but what are some of your biggest frustrations right now? Sure. Um, hmm. I guess um, right now, the the first sorry the frustrations don't aren't coming now for the first time. It I guess it's I'm frustrated with the fact that many people are coming to understand these things for the first time. Right. You know, and that's frustrating, but also at the same time, it's like, all right, here we are, let's just go. You, know, like, you get it now, let's go. Um, and so some of those frustrations, I think, um, come in the form of people not understanding the connections of whatever field they're in, whether it's music or not, and systemic racism, like just not understanding that they're, that we're all part of this. Mm -hmm. um, and that representation matters and that they just need to do better, you know? Um, so I think that in the past, that's been a big frustration that now people are starting to understand, I think. Um, Oh, another frustration, actually, now that I think about it, is um, with pe just people in positions of power um, in general, because um, I feel in, in a way, actually, ever since I was at Northwestern with you, um, I have sort of dedicated my career to this long-term trajectory of being able to have my voice be loud enough for anyone to like care when I say something, because when I did things at Northwestern, I feel like that was sort of the issue was that we could, you know, get however many signatures we could do whatever. But at the end of the day, I was a student that was going to graduate. Can you tell us a little bit more about what you did at Northwestern? Sure. Yeah. So um, I guess if I were to sum it up, I, I tried to make some changes to the uh, theory, oral skills, curriculum, or curricula, in, in terms of just having more representation in the classes that people are teaching. Um, I was also looking for more uh, diversity in programming and in faculty. But the, the thing is, like, it's hard to pinpoint because I was just looking for something, mm -hmm. you know, something to happen. Um, and I was honestly open to discussion of what that is. Mm -hmm. um, I think it was more so a push to show the faculty and administration that people needed and wanted uh, something different. Um, and because I was, you know, in school there, I didn't expect to have all the answers, but I was expecting for people to come with me, come with the student body on that particular thing, you know, and there was just a lot of no, we can't do that. And also a lot of people that just didn't understand what I was saying. Um, I think on purpose, because if they, they were just trying to poke holes in it, you know, poke holes in the argument so that they could just say, well, this has to stop. Right. Um, so that is sort of what happened. And then after that, I ended up, or I guess in the midst of that, I ended up doing a TED talk at the TEDx Northwestern conference that year. I think it was 2017. Um, and in that, I was sort of summarizing all of this and also um, 
hopefully giving some information on historical context of like black composers, you know, throughout history that have existed and that were awesome. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, um, but now um, I, I'm frustrated because at many of the institutions that I'm involved with, I still hear those same things, you know, and, but now I would say I'm happy that I'm able to, um, I'm able to handle those responses a little bit better and say, okay, so what? <laughs> so let's, let's do this then. <laughs> Did Northwestern um, end up changing anything as a result of your petition? Y yes and no. Um, I think that there, so I guess I should say yes. I mean, there were some professors that definitely um, diversified their examples that they had. And I, I definitely heard from many of my undergrad colleagues there at that time that um, they started hearing these names and they were learning about them in some sort of historical context. That's great. Um, yeah. So there was, there was a tiny little step for mankind. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, so, something came of it. Okay. Well, it's really great that you did it. I remember seeing it circle around and thinking, yeah, this makes a lot of sense. Like we should be thinking about these things. And I wish it were met with more enthusiasm. I think if you had done that like now, I think it would have been like easier in a sense, but it's good that you were already thinking about it obviously and it's so important that we keep asking ourselves these questions and I too am frustrated with people in positions of power who don't seem to see things the way that we do and why they're whether it's a fear of their donor base and I think a lot of the times it is a fear of their donor base I've been thinking a lot about that in organizations that I'm in and the answer seems to be well diversify your donor base like why are we even having this conversation? Right, um, black people got money too. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, is it that hard to find like some people of color or more women and just like, I mean, we're in a very unique industry and our industry especially is, is really rooted in this systemic racism and it's really sad and it's, it's hard to, it's really hard to push that while you know, it's hard to want to stay in the industry mm. while pushing for these changes. I don't know if you've experienced any of those feelings. Absolutely. I mean, um, yeah, definitely. Especially uh, because I also have the added little caveat that I'm a saxophonist. And so I have a <laughs> lot of chips on my shoulder, I think. Yeah. Um, so there's like, you know, I am simultaneously trying to change the industry to be more accepting of the saxophone, which, which is not like as socially relevant, you know, but it's just what I love. Like that's the instrument that I play and I, I think it's amazing. And um, so I think that for me, there's this thing where I want to be doing all this stuff uh, in terms of diversifying my own repertoire and things. But I also know that in order to, um, gain the trust of the people in those positions of power, I need to be able to play Schumann. Like they need to know that I know what an appoggiatura is, yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, and so um, 
I struggle with that a lot, actually, yeah. to like try to find repertoire to play, but also to try to make sure that to try to grapple with myself of like, why am I doing this? Why do I need their approval um, for certain things? And that's tough because at the end of the day, like it's, it goes back to what I said before. Like I want to get to a point where I've, no one is going to say, Oh, he's just saying that. And he thinks, and, but he doesn't understand what we're talking about here. He doesn't understand the quality. Um, and so I, it, it's tough. I go back and forth on that a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so what are the things that kind of stand out to you the most when you think about your journey as a black musician in classical music, either specific incidents or specific moments and follow up to that. How has that affected your mental health? Mm -hmm. Um, I think that for me, um, it often comes down to this idea of being the only one mm -hmm. and just the implications of that, you know, what you're representing that is outside of yourself. And when people look to you as, oh, I, well, I have one black friend that I know is a classical, <laughs> that I know is a classical musician. <laughs> um, and he was pretty good. So I, I think it's fine, you know, um, and, I take that really seriously because I feel like if I do something wrong, if I, uh, if my tone loses focus for a second, or if I get a little, if I go a little too far, then I feel like people are going to blame it on the fact that I'm out of control or I don't have that ability for refinement. Um, and so I focus on that a lot and, or I, I have, and I did now I'm, I'm at the point where I'm trying to bring more of myself, you know, back into it. Um, but that, but that idea of being the only one is tough when you're in class and you have to answer a question and you feel like you don't have as much space to be wrong as, mm -hmm. as other people do. And so then you have to study twice as hard, practice twice as hard, do all of these things twice as hard to make sure that you don't, that you represent your people well. You make sure you're carrying the weight of your ancestors, I feel, in a lot of ways. I think about um, Nina Simone almost daily mm -hmm. um, in that she always just wanted to be a classical pianist. Like that's all she wanted to do. And she ended up spending her entire life not doing that because she couldn't, uh, she was not a, admitted to the Curtis Institute based on her race. Um, and so when I think about her, I'm like, I have this opportunity. I had better not mess it up. Like, let's do this for Nina Simone and Joseph Boulon and all these people. Um, but that's, that's a lot of pressure. It's very anxiety inducing. <laughs> I was just going to say, it's a lot of pressure. How do you deal yeah. with that mentally? Yeah. Um, honestly not well <laughs> like i i don't i don't deal with it well mm -hmm. um i i deal with it by trying to be as prepared as i possibly can and to um think about my environment at all times i'm very cognizant of my environment at all times whether it's as a performer teacher so 
in my um, two positions that I've had, teaching positions, I've, I think I've had one black full-time colleague and, and that's um, at my current institution, Ithaca College. And so if I'm speaking in a meeting or um, if I'm performing on campus, I feel like I'm very cognizant of what, how that goes, you know, like when, when you're in that meeting, how do people talk? Are people um, this formal? And then I'll like, okay, I'll be one step above that. <laughs> um, does, do people wear jackets here? Like, you know, and, yeah. and so I'm, I'm just very, I, I would say I'm very anxious <laughs> about those yeah. types of things. Um, and I'm working on it. You know, I'm working on trying to figure out how to be more comfortable. What are some ways that you're, things. that you're doing that working on feeling more comfortable? Is it, do you, what are some things you do for self care, for example? Mm. Um, I think that for, for me working on it is trust is learning to trust myself. Um, yeah. and I'll, and, and also learning to not discount things that people say. Like if, if, if someone gives me a compliment, I am usually immediately saying for a black classical saxophonist. Mm, okay. You know, so, oh, your tone was so great for a black classical saxophonist or whatever. And so like trying to just release myself of that and say, like, I deserve to be here. You know, I've worked really hard and I've done all of these things. Just because I mess up one time doesn't mean that I haven't worked really hard and I don't deserve these things. Um, so I guess it's more maybe like trying to change my internal dialogue mm -hmm. um, from one of paranoia to one of I, I, I deserve to be here. Um, and I, I've heard a lot of people, this I guess comes down to tokenism in a way. Um, and I've heard a lot of people in the past couple of weeks talking about that, saying that they understand that if you're hired or you do whatever for the first time, it might be tokenism, but you have to then realize that once they hire you again, you have to just decide that it's not <laughs> anymore um, because they thought you were good enough or they connected with your music making enough uh, or your teaching, whatever, to say we need him or her back, you know? Yeah. That's a lot. <laughs> like you said, that's a lot of pressure. And a lot of people just can't imagine that this idea of having to work twice as hard and just feel like, I mean, I think classical musicians already feel like they have to be perfect all the time. Right. And then there's that added stress for you. Yeah. And I Yeah. I, I would also just say like, I, you mentioned like, what are some things that you do like self care or whatever. It's like, there's, at a certain point, just being black, there's nothing you can do. Like, that's the reality. That's, that is one of the, that is part of the system is like, right. we're just always tired and anxious. <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, so maybe that's part of the oppression, you know, just in general. It's like, that's just always there for, I think more than me, you know, a lot of people. That's a really good point. Yeah. At some point, like, 
lighting candles to soothe yourself or taking a long walk are not going to be good enough for solving the problems of systemic racism, as it turns out. So that makes, obviously, that makes a lot of sense. Um, there's only so much those things can do. Um, so you just hosted a discussion called Learning to Listen, and it was a discussion addressing the nuances of the Black experience within classical music. And there were a lot of people on that discussion. And what were some of the biggest takeaways from that discussion? Yeah, um, that was really an honor to be a part of. Um, and we've received a lot of positive feedback. And I think that some of the things that I've heard um, are that the that people appreciated that it was multi-generational. So right. we started, we sort of went in a past to, to future format. We started with um, Sanford Allen, who was the first black classical or black violinist in the New York Philharmonic. Amazing. And he was also in the first class of young concert artists um, in 1961, oh joined the Philharmonic in 1962. Um, and so to hear him talk about his experiences was completely incredible. Um, but then also to move forward and then hear Anthony McGill, who's currently the only black member of the New York Philharmonic, say, wow, I feel a lot of those same things 60 mm -hmm. years later. Wow. You know, um, is, was a really big deal and I think sort of humbling for people. So that was one thing, the generational aspect of it. Um, I've also heard that people were very um, excited to hear, or I think inspired to hear that all we were saying is that this is not rocket science, just go, <laughs> just act, you know? Um, and so I think there's, there have already been like some hashtags <laughs> that people are putting out like, hashtag I pledge you know, and then things that they're doing, you know, some of my colleagues at, at IC have, have done that, which I think is great because they were, uh, particularly Aaron Dworkin, the founder of Sphinx, was talking about the fact that most people just will put together a task force and then take a year or two to like think about what we might do to start changing something perhaps. Or hire a DEI officer. <laughs> right, yeah. Right. Sure. And then you have to, to do that. You have to get a line approved by your administration and then you have to do this, which takes a year, you know. <clears throat> so I think people are inspired by hearing us say, these are obvious things, just do them. <laughs> yeah. Um, and for me personally, I enjoyed the communal aspect of it. Um, seeing all the melanin on this on the yeah. screen all at one time and all of that excellence being right there and feeling like i was a part of that you know feeling that and that's something that in contrast to the anxiety gives ins inspiration to work harder you know because like m my people have been doing this for years i i am proud of the fact that we work harder you know, yeah. so I think that that was something that I took away just personally from it. That's wonderful. Yeah, I will definitely check it out and I will encourage all the listeners to check it out as well. And, you know, you've done some really amazing things and we're so happy we got to chat with you. 
today. Thank you so much for talking with us. It's been a real pleasure. Well, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, of course.